0: Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Oh the joy for those who don't follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, And they prosper in all they do. Somebody say that's awesome. It's so good. See, it's kind of cultural to be able to bear uh, bear fruit in every season. It's like the opposite of our current reality. Kingdom culture, to be able to bear fruit in every season. Because every tree, and every fruit tree particularly, has a season of withholding. And we know this, we call it autumn or fall. And that's because... They understand that there's a lack of nutrient supply for a season, so they stop giving it to the leaves. That's why the leaves go brown and fall off and die. And my wife loves that season because she gets to crunch leaves. And we're gonna have a daughter that loves that season because she just loves whatever mum does. So it's gonna be heaps of fun uh, when she's big enough to run through that herself. It'll be really cool, but I wanna encourage you that when you're connected to the source, that you can bear fruit in every season. And there's not a season that you have to withhold. You don't have to worry about a lack of supply from a God who is all supply, who has no lack. And so really, we want to talk about or land in a place of being planted tonight. But I'm excited because I really believe that throughout today and the next few weeks as we launch this series on Thanksgiving, that God's going to set some people free. And I have expectation that today and all throughout the next few weeks, uh, that this is going to go from strength to strength. I love preaching on a place that's a strength, that's intrinsic in the DNA, in the very fabric of who we are as a church. Because how many know you can always go higher in God? He calls us to go from strength to strength to strength. There's never a lack of supply. There's never a lack of comfort. And this funny thing about like, just straight up statistics about the word thanksgiving, right? Is over half the word is giving. So we understand intrinsically that thanksgiving has a cost, but you can only give out of what you've put in. And so tonight, where we land in an outward focus, firstly, I want to go to the opposite and talk about our environment. Because like it or not, sooner or later, our environment becomes our out-environment. How many know when the pressure's on, we start to vomit those type of things that we've been holding on to inside. The stuff that we've allowed to have proximity in our life. What we believe about ourselves, what other people have said about us that's landed with us and we've allowed to settle, the opinions that validate decisions that we make in life, the circumstances we find ourselves surrounded by, suddenly is the easiest thing to feed on because it's convenient and it's close. So sooner or later, like it or not, our environment becomes our environment. It's like biology 101, input equals output. (laughs) And we understand, right, that the great commandment is love God, love other people as we love ourselves. But what if the way that we love ourselves is broken? See, I think so many times in life I make dumb decisions out of a place where I just have forgotten who I really am. Perhaps for some of us, there's occasions where we just don't even know who it is that God's called us to be, the promise that he's had and placed on our life, the call that he's released on our life. And we make decisions out of default, out of a place that doesn't line up with who he's called us to be. And the way that we love ourselves is broken. So how can we expect to love somebody else or him out of a place that's overflowing in thankfulness when we're running on half, let alone empty? So there's a cost, right? There's a cost to thankfulness, but how many are grateful that ultimately the biggest cost we didn't have to pay, we dodged that bullet, right? That was a good one to dodge. Thank you, Jesus. Hashtag. So I want to talk to you about hope, which is why I've labeled tonight insignificance. Because if you understand that all God needs is the smallest space to operate in your life, he's going to take you from a place of insignificance and you'll realize that you're planted and you can be found, if we roll into the next slide, literally in significance. He can take what's mundane and what's common and what's ordinary and what's insignificant and he can say, that's the very thing I'm going to use to be found and planted and established in significance. God wants to release, I believe, through us, a spirit that understands that sometimes it's the ordinary that does the extraordinary. Sometimes he'll use the mundane. Sometimes he'll use the circumstance that we get frustrated by because we forgot about the fact that he's more interested in our character and in that developing capacity for what it is that he's entrusted with us And so we're saying, God, take it from me. And he's like, no, no, I want to take you through it. But it's a lot easier if you'll just take it from it. How many, let me ask you this. How many of you ever entertained the thought? Maybe you've said the conversation out loud. Maybe you've just entertained thought. Wouldn't it be awesome if I won lotto? Come on, like most of us have had that thought, right? If we just won lotto, that would be legit because like we get all this cash. I don't have to change anything that I'm doing. All I do is just get all this extra provision and suddenly if that happens. And then if you have that conversation, the next thing that comes out, then I'll do this. Man, these are all the things that I could do. This is the type of car i would buy. This is the type of house I'd live in. This is what I could do for church. And God, if you do all these things for me like this and just give me that, then I'll be able to do this and then this and then this. And we forgot the fact that if you're faithful with a little, we totally disregard the fact. And we come to this place where I'm not going to change anything in my circumstance. I'm just going to hope from a place that I'm going to get blessing for doing the same thing. And I want to encourage you tonight that you're not alone. In fact, basically the entire nation of Israel who got out of Egypt, who got out of slavery, thought that same way. There might have been three, four million people somewhere in the vicinity of that. But let's say for argument's sake there was three million people. I want to tell you that 2,999,998 people felt exactly the same way. Their focus was God fix my problem. Get me out of slavery. Get me out of bondage. Get me out of this place that I don't want to be in. And all but two insignificant people found insignificance, had a focus on the promise. And we know that because God had to wait for the entire generation to die off before anybody could cross the river. But that lotto mentality of if this, then I'll do this. And for almost 3 million people, they decided that if I could just get out of that place of bondage and slavery, that that would be enough that my lot in life of walking around the same place, walking around basically in a sandpit, was enough. And they never got to inherit the promise. Because their focus was on a lot of mentality. Friends, if you battle with an if this, then that mentality, then I want to tell you tonight, God wants to set you free from a retaliation spirit. If they treat me good, then I'll be nice back. If they're kind to me, then I'll show that back. If they offend me and upset me and go against what I feel comfortable with, then I'm going to distance myself from them. Or maybe I'll do the same thing back. There's an if they, then I mentality that's so easy to slip into. It's a retaliation spirit. Which is countercultural to the kingdom because God says repay evil with kindness. And an entire generation had to die before two men, insignificant, could be found in significance. So let me talk to you about hope. I want to ask you four questions just to set this up tonight. Say to somebody beside you, I'm a hope dealer. Not a hope seller, I'm a hope dealer. Hmm. Here's the first question. Are you feeling hopeless? Are you feeling hopeless? See, if we're honest, there's an element at least in some area of your life at the moment that's a little bit frustrating. Let me ask this a different way. Are you breathing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By nature of the fact that you're still here on earth, there's somewhere in your life right now that's not fulfilled in a way that looks like the promise or the purpose or the way that it should look in your life. And if we're honest, there's often a few. And there could be a few tensions to be able to operate out of a place of hopelessness, at least a place of, maybe a place of frustration. Maybe it's a place where you feel a little bit undervalued or overlooked. Maybe it's a place where God hasn't answered it in the way that you understood him. And now you have to wrestle with a new concept of who he is. And that's frustrating. And it's just a little bit hopeless because it hasn't had change yet. But my Bible tells me in Galatians 6 that we reap what we sow. So i got a question for you. In that area of your life where you feel hopeless, how much hope are you sowing? Because it's real easy to sow out of what's convenient, right? And to sow out of what's close. But you've got to understand that thanksgiving has a cost. If it doesn't have a cost, then what are you giving? And if I'm feeling hopeless in a place, what's around me? I'm sowing hopelessness. If I'm feeling hopeless, there's a frustration. There's a lack. There's a weight. Sometimes it's just tiredness. Sometimes you just run at pace that's not sustainable and it catches up with you. And you find yourself in the midst of this place where you're like, man, why am I reaping all this stuff? you got to ask yourself, come on, how much hope am I sowing? Because in order to sow hope, there's a cost. It means that you have to at least emotionally disengage with the circumstance you find yourself in and decide to respond from a different spirit. How many know to be able to respond in a spirit of praise, when you're in pain, there's a cost. If you're going to respond with a spirit of joy and of life, when the circumstances around you are the opposite, that's going to have a cost. But thanksgiving has a cost. It's inherent in the very nature. Even of the Word, there's a cost. So if you're feeling hopeless, come on, change what you sow. If your environment is toxic, come on, sow hope. Sow hope. Sow hope. Second question I have, are you feeling full? And I don't mean like the good kind of full. Like, I had a great lunch like from yesterday's dinner. Leftovers are great sometimes because they mean no cooking. 30 seconds in the microwave, and I was like, oh, one more of those. Yep, now we're done. And that was my lunch. But if I leave that, they go stale, and then you leave it long enough, they go rank. I mean the type of fool, like, my, like, your schedule, like, life right now is just so full that all you can do is just try and hold on and make the best of what's coming at you. How many people have lived in a space that even for just a while, where that man I'm full, like I can't deal with, I was so busy in the last two weeks, it's the busiest I've been in my whole banking career in the last five years because my boss, I've just changed roles in a whole different department, Um, he decided that going on two weeks leave was a great idea and there's like very few people who can sign off his level of approval in the business because he's been there forever and like none of them are in my office So to get a quick answer for people just didn't happen. So for two weeks, I've been working like long before I should and long after and even from home. And it got to the point where like, my wife asked me, hey, what do we need from the supermarket? And I said to her, I can't think about that. Like I have no space, can you just sort it out? But how many know, like if you operate in a space that's that full all the time, sooner or later it'll catch up with us. Like when we're stressed out and things are full on, I don't make good decisions. I just make decisions of survival try and fight the next fire in front of me and put that out and then I'll deal with the next one and then if something comes over there, if I'm stuck, then I just got to put out what I can and if something gets burnt, so be it. But if you're feeling full, like, let me read for you. In Romans 15 verse 13, one translation says this, may the God of hope fill you, say fill you, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that, somebody says, so that, By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So to frame this right, he's the God of hope. Like he's got no supply lack. There's no shortage in his chain of hope. Like that dude is loaded with hope. But if we're going to abound in hope, then he needs to fill us with joy and peace. So the equation is, I want to abound in hope from a God of all hope. But first of all, to abound in hope, he's got to pack me full of joy and peace. How many of you are feeling joyful? Who right now is like a 10 out of 10 joy? I'm going to tell you no one because none of your faces are. Like tell your face, right? I'm just saying. If you're joyful, like there's always space. We don't operate on a 10 all the time. There's always space. But can I just ask you the question? If that space is not full of joy, what's it full of? Because you're full of something. Huh. we all are come on if there's space to be joyful if, if there's no more space because you're just full we need to talk about talking uh, talk about taking away the thing that's stopping you from being joyful so let's take the thing out of the way so that we can fit more joy I love that illustration of the truck that backs up Pastor Shelley, that was great. Just to take stuff out of our life that shouldn't be there. Here's a question though, like what if it's something that you love? What if it's your gift? What if it's like something that you hold on to? Like that's like, it's the thing that, that defines who you are. It's the thing that you feel like this is the reason why God put me on earth. Are you willing to put that on the removal truck and say, God, I don't want you to just fix my problem I want to step into an area of proximity with you so that I can live in a place of the promise. And I'll trust you to use me for some reason that eventually I'll enjoy. But what if it's the thing that says, actually, God's like, I'm going to just take this away from a while because if I don't take it away now and deal with the heart issue, it's never going to be sustainable. Like if he put you there right now, what if that would make, that would be game? Like if that's game over, he's not that type of God. He's not going to set you up for failure. He's going to move you when you're in a place where you can handle the promise. But when our heart's not in a place where it can handle that, sometimes he needs to take it away and say, are you willing to sacrifice the idol? Can you imagine being Abraham, having to put his son on the altar and be like, actually, would you do it? He didn't have to, but it was a question of a heart. Would you? That's all God wanted to know. He's not into killing babies. He just wants to know, are you willing to give up the promise? And trust me, it's proximity over promise. Kingdom puts proximity over promise. Can I just hit peace for a second? The other one of this. Got to fill you with joy and with peace. I think, personal opinion, so oftentimes we get a warped sense of peace. In fact, with all good intention, we make an idol out of peace. And we use that to define decision in our life. And we hear it all the time. Oh, I don't have peace about that. So I'm not going to do it. Oh, I've got a real peace about that, so now I'm gonna do it. And I'm not trying to diminish what you're trying to say here, but I wanna tell you that the currency of heaven is not peace, it's faith. And every step of faith requires putting yourself in a place where you need God to come through. Because if you don't need God to answer in that space, that's not faith. That's just self-reliance. So if your dream is something that you can fulfill yourself, come on, get a bigger dream. Because like, he's called us to operate with faith. And out of the overflow of stepping in a place where I feel vulnerable and I feel like there's risk here and I feel nervous because I don't know how this is gonna end, that's the place, that the peace that surpasses understanding. If you wait for a peace that you can understand before you take a step, you haven't got the peace of whom, you got peace of something, but it's stopping you operating in a place of faith. And let me give you three examples. I can put money on the fact David as a 13, 14, maybe 15 year old ruddy kid was not feeling peace when he came face to face with a giant. When the reality, yeah, the frustration was you're not gonna do that, right? You're not gonna be able to diss my God like that. I'm gonna take you out. But when he came face to face with a 10 foot baddest dude on the planet, which made him the baddest dude in the universe at that time, I'd put money on the fact that he wasn't thinking, man, I feel peace about this right now. I just have so much peace about this. Let me give you another example. Joshua, right, when he gets the Israelites finally to a place after years of having to wait for the unbelieving, un, like rest of the plebs to die, and the whole next generation, he's like, I don't want to mess this up because I don't know if I'm going to be around for the next one. But that moment when you cross the river into enemy territory and you realize that your life is on the line and your friends and your family are on the line and your whole entire nation's lives are on the line. And if you mess this up, that's a decision that you don't make with peace. That's a decision when there's risk. Nobody goes to war having to kill somebody to occupy new territory out of a decision of peace. Yet you fight for peace, and peace comes after that that surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense right now, but as I step in faith, the peace comes. Let me give you another example, just in case you still don't believe me. Let's look at Jesus. Garden of Gethsemane, right? We know from gospel account, multiple accounts in the Bible, he's sweating blood, and he can't sleep. Yet if you back the train just a little bit, you understand that he slept through storms before. So this was a whole other level of storm. Now, if Jesus is in a place where he can't sleep and he's sweating blood and and saying, God, if you can take this from me, do it. I don't want to do this. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The defining decision maker for him in that moment was not peace. But if we're not careful, we use that to justify a lack of faith. Withhold, to stand back. I don't feel peace about that, so I'm not gonna step into a place of faith. Stop trying to comprehend faith, uh peace, and start stepping out in faith. Like when I fought literally for my life with, with chemo, a 15, 16-year-old, I knew in my spirit that my time wasn't up. I can't explain it, it didn't make sense. Everything in the natural, even from the best doctors on the planet, one of which was here, one was in Brazil, and one was in France, who worked on my case, said this stuff is either going to kill you or heal you. And then the nurses didn't want to give me chemo for two weeks because they said that that would kill me, not the cancer, the chemo. But when I'm fighting for my life, I had a peace in my spirit that it wasn't my time, but it didn't mean that I didn't feel sick. It didn't mean that I didn't feel the weight of that journey. It didn't mean that I didn't have questions. It didn't mean that I wasn't frustrated. It didn't mean that I wasn't a little bit ticked off as to why I was in prison for a crime I didn't commit. Come on, it's not peace that defines faith. Are you feeling the struggle? Third question. Are you feeling the struggle? 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 7 to 10. See if I just read it from the screen. Don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas and idle wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. Say it's good. doesn't say it's not good. It says it is good. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the one to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard. Say work hard. And continue to struggle. Say the struggle is real. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Come on, if you're feeling the struggle, that's okay. It doesn't say stop working. It doesn't say stop stepping out of faith. It doesn't say start withholding. It doesn't say wait for peace in that space. It says keep going. Keep going. If you feel the struggle, keep going. Last question, feeling forgetful. I don't know what it is about me, but I tend to only forget the small, and valuable things. Like, for many years, my wallet my keys, and my phone, particularly if it was on silent, or like off, or the battery was nearly dead. And like, it's funny reflecting on things that you do in life out of habit, and I look back and I'm like, I realize that there's so many times that I forget the small and valuable things. Like I don't have a heart attack just because I had one takeaway meal, like burger fuel after the service tonight. It's just around the corner at Bush and, please come, it's gonna be awesome. Like that doesn't set me up to have a heart attack, but how many know that a series and a lifestyle of bad decisions with diet and exercise is just not good for your health? And what you understand in the fullness of time is it's the little things that are valuable that set you up to be able to be entrusted with the greater responsibility. They allow you to inhabit the promise. Hmm. Last question, feeling forgetful. And then we're going to go where I really want to hit tonight. I like this morning, the whole thought of, you know, you're getting old when. I could have started it with that, but I like also feeling forgetful. It was a funny conversation. Yeah. Feeling forgetful. Psalm 119 verse 49 says, Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Somebody say, only hope. Here's the thought, right? The psalmist here is not talking to another person. He's talking to God. And who's he asking to remember it? He's asking God. He's saying, God, remember your promise to me. So here's the thought. If we forget, he doesn't. If we forget, he doesn't. It's our only hope. Remember your promise to me. It is our only hope. In those places where I forget, who I am and who I'm called to be, I thank God that I serve a God that doesn't. In those places where I'm not feeling that same way, where I'm not feeling the promise, but I'm still stepping out and I'm still in the storm and I'm still waiting for the peace to come, I'm grateful that God hasn't given up on me. Sometimes in those places when I walk away from Him, I'm grateful that He doesn't walk away from me. He's never forgot the promise that's on your life or the plan that He has for you, the purpose that He put you on this planet for. God has a plan for your life. So does the enemy. Who do you trust? And here's the thing about insignificance, right? The very word insignificant, if we roll to that slide, in the last four letters of insignificant, says, I can't. And if you ask the question, right, What does insignificant really mean for me? It means I can't because I'm not. And when we respond with a spirit that says, I can't because I'm not, it's countercultural to the call that he's given. It says, remember your promise for me. Oh, but I can't do that because I'm not that type of person. When those words start to roll around in your head, I want you to understand that the very two letters before I can't Is IF. And a statement becomes a question. And I like a question because I'm up for a challenge. And if there's a spirit of I can't because I'm not, I came to tell somebody tonight, that statement's about to become a question. But it ain't a question for you. It's a question for the enemy. Because if I can't, he can. I want you to say this. If I can't, he can. Come on, one more time. If I can't, he can. Insignificant. Insignificant. What's it all mean? Insignificant. I can't because I'm not. Becomes if I can't, then he can. Many are like of my all-time heroes of the Bible, and I want to jump through a little bit more before we land this thing. But like, if I think about my all-time heroes of the Bible, they had something common in common. They had something ordinary, something mundane something insignificant in common. Let me give you an example. Actually, I'm going to give you like seven, maybe more. If I can't count in a hurry. I didn't count them before. Noah, for 100 years, what did he do? He built a boat. The dude was famous for hitting pieces of wood together. For 100 years. And for 99.99 of those years, nothing insignificant probably started in a forest probably ended in a paddock because he cleared all the trees but all he did right was insignificant he just cut tree hammered it together cut more tree hammered it together for a hundred years what if it took a hundred years of insignificance to do something significant the dude restarts humanity insignificance Abraham right honestly when you break it down for what he actually did he's my hero dude slept with his wife that was all he did like in one sense the reason that we have father Abraham who had many sons right arm left arm was because all he did was 25 years after getting the promise how would take you 25 years to respond in faith then he has a son insignificant what about Joshua? we talked about him man that dude was famous because he walked a lot like a lot a lot for 40 years all he did was walk around the desert and then after 40 years they crossed the river which was a bit more walking and what's the first thing they do when they fight? they go for another walk and they walk around the city of Jericho like heaps the dude had great walking game. But insignificant, right? All he did was walk. <laughs> and in birth, one of the greatest leaders that has ever walked the face of this planet. I didn't think about that before, but that's really good. What about David? What's he famous for? Well, people who don't even go to church know that he like, killed Goliath, right? But really, all he did was two things. He babysat sheep. That's his job. Looked after the sheep, slept with the sheep, helped feed the sheep, helped protect the sheep, helped move the sheep, helped clean the sheep, helped birth the sheep. He just babysat sheep. And then he threw a stone. Let's make him king. Seems like he's got the prereqs. How good would that be? Man, I'd babysit sheep and throw a stone insignificant. Daniel, right? He had a great diet. In fact, I think he's got something to answer for. There's a few people, when I get to heaven, I'm going to line up and punch in the eye. (laughs) Because all he did was ate a lot of vegetables. But he also had a great spiritual diet because he like prayed a lot. And here's the thing about a good diet, right? it meant that when he's chucked in the den with lions who are hungry and starving, that God shut the mouth of their lions. And here's a thought. If there's an area in your life that you feel like the enemy has taken a chunk out of, can I ask you the question, what are you feeding on? Because Daniel fed on presence and proximity to Jesus. And by very nature of proximity to Jesus, it meant that the enemy couldn't even take a bite. Change your diet change your life he's had a good diet what about Naaman the dude washes in a river that's dirty like a dirty river seven times that's what he's famous for that's what he's remembered in eternity for in doing so yes, yeah, leprosy gets healed but it, more importantly God heals his heart because here's the thought right The kingdom will always prioritize wholeness over healing. Wholeness over healing. The lady with two coins, what did she do? She gave two coins. That was it. She didn't even want to do it in a way that people could see. She put them in because it was her last two coins. She was embarrassed by that. But Jesus saw it, recognized the sacrifice. And now she's like revered as one of the most generous and sacrificial. It's a little bit off script, but I was thinking about it on the way in here and sacrifice in the very middle of the word has four letters, I-F-I-C. And I want you to understand something tonight that sacrifice is a lot easier to embrace if I see. If I see the promise, if I see with the spiritual eyes, if I see hope that Jesus could move here if I just give him something to move with, if I give him the little that I have, the two fish, and the bunch of bread, if I give him my two coins, he could do something which is going to set other people free for eternity with the bondage of finance in their life because I could take a step of faith. If I see, sacrifice is a lot easier to embrace. The paralyzed man on the roof, he's my favorite one. What did he do? He lay down. and got carried. I reckon I could do that. Like on this Hall of Famous hit list, there's not many things there. couldn't do might not be able to build a boat I could babysit sheep I could lay down and get carried what if the very thing that you're frustrated by at the moment where you're found in a place where you feel overlooked where you feel is insignificant what if you feel like at the moment I'm just feeling the weight of this I'm feeling alone What if that's the thing that you'll be remembered for in eternity? And what if you're carrying something that you feel like, man, I don't know how I can carry on right now because it's a bit hopeless. (laughs) Dare I say it, what if you're the one who messed up? Man, I dug this hole myself. And if you're like me, maybe you've got some friends who are like, oh, I see you're in a hole. How about I hop in there? I can help you dig faster. But what if, like, you're feeling overlooked and undervalued? What if you're feeling the weight of the thing that you did? What is it? What if you feel the shame? Like, what if you feel buried? Friends, I came to tell somebody about the grace of God tonight. Came to tell somebody that what you call buried, he calls planted. Because it looks the same. It was the gift, it was the dream, it was the promise. Now it's buried. But I believe that God wants to un- you to understand tonight that it's not buried, it's planted. You dig a hole for both. You put it in. You fill it up. Insignificance the significant grows out of the place that can't be seen it's birthed in a place that's planted not buried if you've dug yourself a hole what if God's trying to plant you because you'll never grow unless you're planted but he wants to plant you you're planted I wonder if you can stand tonight Romans 5 it says since we've been made right in God's sight by faith we've got peace because of what Jesus did for us because of our faith Christ brought us into this place of undeserved privilege it's called grace where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know they help us develop endurance And endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope won't lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. It carries on. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. Now, most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person, though some maybe, Perhaps if the person is especially good, But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in His sight by the blood of Christ, He'll certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship because God made us friends. He calls me friend. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.